You got me all right? I got you all right, but we're on. So welcome to the podcast, Mr. Carter and Mr. Carter. Are you two related or what? No, he's not my dad. <laughs> Although when we met the other night, somebody said you could be brothers. I think yeah. there's the blonde hair, blue eyes stuff going on. Well, it didn't take the three of us very long to get on. <laughs> no, so, not at all. So for those listening, I only met, and so did Jake, uh, met Mark Carter on Thursday night last week as we had a, what do we have, a networking Event Future uh, of Health, yeah, I like Future that. Future of Health it was a good, um, good room full of uh, different practitioners, doctors, therapists, practitioners, motivational people, all sorts. So, within that spectrum of people, Mark, tell us a bit about uh, your background and the story uh, of how you come to be doing what you're doing the other day. Uh, sorry, what you're doing now. Um, I just listened to your TED talk as uh. As requested prior to today, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But yeah, fill us in on your background. I will do. Man. Yeah, so I, I guess I've been uh, more than 20 years now working in human development. So it's a field we're all interested in. I uh, started out as a tour leader for Kentucky Holidays around Europe. So you can imagine that 10 years taking tour groups around Europe and pretty much, as I was explaining the other night, that's where I started really observing and learning everything about human behavior that set me up for my career now. So 10 years traveling Europe, training tour leaders. And then for the last 16 years, I've been a keynote speaker and working in corporate and business worlds, delivering training programs and bodies of work. So I now have a, my business model is half speaking on the speaking circuit and half delivering embedding programs in businesses. And I'm moving more into the public arena, which is like things like the TED Talk. And how did you find learning things like human behavior and emotional intelligence? Is that something that became quite intuitively to you or what's yeah. sort of your learning process yeah, been I'll, to discover? I'll, I'll share with you actually. That. So every tour I ran for Kentucky, every client would have to fill in a feedback form. Mm-hmm. And at the end of my first tour, seven people or eight people said pretty much the same comment, which was, Mark's an awesome guy, but he shows favoritism. And I don't, so I could have gone out, what are they on about? But what I did was I choose to self-reflect and go, what am I doing that makes those people think I'm showing favoritism and I got it. It's because I'm a little like you guys, I'm outward going, Mm -hmm. I was extroverted. I was uh, gravitating to people on the tour in those long travel days to the people like me that were quite expressive. And the ones that are a bit more quiet, I just leave them in peace thinking I didn't want to disturb them. Mm. Yeah, sure. And that, then you learn that, you position that, you don't get that comment again. And so then you magnify that every day to 100 things every day over years. And so, yeah, behavioral sciences, emotional intelligence, personality styles, motivation, all of those models I was really observing on a daily basis and dealing with. And so when I went and did my accreditations later, it was literally like being jacked into the matrix, you know, like Neo. They put the plug in and he comes out going, I know Kung Fu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. So that was like kind of, like yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of the feeling out when I went and actually did my accreditations in these models and started reading about fields that we're all interested in, like neuroscience and stuff as well. Then it just made a, a lot of sense because I'd done the groundwork for years, hands on on tours. Well, energy's contagious. So, like you said, there, if there's people that are sitting there quietly, you're going to just let them be, do their own thing. But you, you, you match other people's energy, don't you? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 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 The perception of value. Mm. There's the fucking rabbit hole. There's, there's the perception of self as well, which I want to get into later on. Okay, well, we'll do both. Yeah. Completely. Okay. Why don't you tell us a bit about the perception of value and where that becomes oh, a twist yeah. and turn? Yeah, so that was the the inspiration. So the TED Talk, you know, it's great to be able to do that. And I, I thought for the theme they had, which was two hands, two hands in the community. I've got several bodies of work that are probably unique enough that I think would warrant TED, but that hit the theme. And this idea for me of value, it it's ties into the conversation of self-worth, self-value. It's our values and what we bring to society. And it's our perception of value. And so it made sense for me to release the model for the TED Talk. And what you find is that um, human beings, we're like layers of onion. And we kind of touch on it there. You've got how we function, which is my preferred style. That's all disc and all this sort of stuff. You've got why I do what I do, which is my motivation. And then within that, there's biological motivation. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat. There's external motivation. We can be uh, like be motivated by external factors, but anybody who's got kids would know that if you bribe a child with a candy once, it's going to be two candies next time, right? The, the, the external motivation has got to be bigger, whether it's a reward or punishment. And then you've got internal motivation and that changes at different stages in life. For a 25-year-old guy traveling around Europe for Kentucky, my motivations were very different as a 50-year-old building a business 
in the field I now work in. Mm -hmm. Then you've got emotional intelligence and IQ, but then the biggest one, and it's uh, what the other Mr. Carter alluded to there, is like this perception of self-value and worth. And that really comes from a lot of previous life experiences, the environment we've been nurtured in, and uh, our perception of self and the values that we kind of build out of everything that we've experienced in our world. And you throw all that together as a in a big mixture, like a big thick onion soup, then somewhere in there is where our values are born, our perception of self-worth is born, and the way we look at value in our external world. And there's other filters that come with it. Does that make sense? It does. Mm. Although, well, it's going to be high FODMAP soup, isn't it, if it's uh, onions? <laughs> <laughs> I, I call it the onion soup because yeah. it's like peeling back the layers yeah, like an onion. Shrek. That's yeah. exactly what <laughs> I was going to say. Ogres have layers. <laughs> they do. Yeah. So when, we, when we're looking at the, say, for instance, the perception of self, mm -hmm. you know, we've got our conscious mind, our subconscious mind, we've got our ego, our identity. Mm -hmm. could, you, could you explain some of this to the listeners? Because a lot of them will be feeding and living out of their ego, completely unaware of their identity, their values, their perception, their alignment. Well, this is it, right? So, uh, I mean, the added part of that is the way we view value in our external world then is broken into four other facets. There's tangible value, I can measure it. There's emotional value, I feel it. There's service value, greater purpose to community. And there's relationship value, which is really deep at our core. Now, to your point there, when people are driven from ego, they might be on an autopilot of, and maybe they're looking ego-driven results. If I take an ego, somebody driven by a high ego in the public arena, who do you think of? Because there's one person that to me is a major leader in our world that mm. is driven by a lot of ego. Yeah. Who springs to mind for you? Yeah, well, Donald Trump. There exactly. you go, right? I mean, we, yeah. We're talking about energy, aren't yeah. the same. So yeah. there's somebody that's egotistically driven. It's selfish. It's about self, right? It's all about... So it's... And that's not necessarily... Uh, I know people came him, and I, I, I do it within that as well. It's not necessarily a negative thing because it takes growth to grow out of mm. ego as well. You understand? Would you say ego is externally driven for internal factors? Because you, you would it's reliant on that external gratification from, if we break it down, when we look at the ego, is that reliant on other people's opinions, views, appraisal? And if we completely took that person in isolation where there wasn't in the surroundings or support network or whatever, they wouldn't be able to get that validation, would they still have ego? Yes, there are people yeah. like that. I've yeah. worked with some like that. And think about it. There are people that have got strong ego, that, and they call that the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Their perception of their own skills and what they can do is higher, far higher than it actually is. They could be surrounded by people that know they're not that great and don't even tell them that great, and yet that person could still be driven by ego. Mm. So in that instance, e ego, it's not necessarily always brought out. It may be exaggerated, when you can put people, if you've already got a strong ego and you yeah. put them on a pedestal, it can maybe exaggerate it further for Narcissism. sure. But it's, yeah, but it's, and that's a, I mean, that's a clinical uh, diagnosis as well. And, you know, the world we live in, I think people, I, in fact, the book that I'm doing for the TED talk, I'm, I'm just finishing the manuscript for it now. And it's funny because this is the element I was tidying up yesterday is that a lot of people confuse narcissism these days with low emo what I would call it's low become EQ. almost a popular word to yeah. use narcissism yeah. and it's purely because the way with which people use a lot of the technologies and talk about themselves they're always self-promoting selfies all this mm. sort of stuff that's that doesn't make somebody a, a narcissist not in the clinical sense right so it's it's just and and it's the way people use social media it might just be a lower EQ is what I would say yeah rather than narcissistic and not necessarily always ego-driven although it could be confused as that was it Daniel Goleman which writ emotional intelligence? There's, yes, there's a few people associated with uh, emotional intelligence, but Daniel Goleman is the most commonly on, yeah. or one of the most well-known because he's the one that really brought it more into public arena. He's wrote a stack of books on it. He used to write for on uh, science for the New York Times. And he so he, he built a big audience on yeah. that topic. So he's been seen as a specialist in it for sure. Yeah. Awesome. So what are some of the good things about ego? <laughs> What do you reckon, Mr. Carter? It can't be all bad. So, yeah, obviously, ego will breed a level of confidence and confidence you require to push forward for achieving. So, you know, this could help with people achieving bigger goals, possibly. Mm. Possibly. Depends on if it, if it really burns the bridges, you know, if they don't actually adopt that interdependency which is required to cause them to elevate to reach their goal. So, I guess that's dependent on the scalability of the ego. Like, you need a little bit for that. But you need to be able to recognise it. Yeah, yeah. And use that rather than depend on it. Mm. I, I would say that there's a fine line, I think, between, and people can confuse it, between 
arrogance uh, and confidence, mm. right? So arrogance being that side of ego mm-hmm. and confidence. You could exude and be highly self-confident and not be arrogant, but other people may perceive you as that because this is relating to EQ as well. So emotional intelligence in the Goldman model, if you break it down simply, it's kind of, they look at it in five different ways, five facets to it. There's self-awareness, there's self-regulation. Self-awareness, how well do I know myself, my emotional moods and triggers. Self-regulation is controlling those emotional impulses. You've got motivation in the sense here, meaning drive and persistence towards goals. You've then got externally empathy, which is as, and you're moving into now more social skills and then social skills at communication. And those five facets work within and off and around each other. Now you could have somebody that is very, and there's two patterns within that. You've got internal self-awareness and self-regulation. You've got external, which is empathy and social skills. You've also got another pattern, which is knowledge. That's self-awareness and empathy is knowledge but you've also got action, which is self-regulation and social skills. And so you find that people have got strengths in some of those. Now, you could have somebody that's really high self-awareness, but they just don't display much empathy for anybody else. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're driven by ego. It just means they might be low in that facet. It comes back to the point there that it's, <coughs> it, it can be easy to confuse sometimes in other people uh, what we perceive as ego. It's not always the case. Would you say it's fair to say that... Um people may label others as arrogant as a projection of their insecurity for lacking in confidence or their Completely. own abilities. Completely, that can happen. Because I find that to be a common... Yeah, there's the quote, uh, is it from Stephen Covey, uh, perception is projection. Is that from Stephen Covey? I'm not sure if that's Covey. I know Covey's well. Sure. I don't know if it's him, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. Time. We, we, we definitely have a tendency is that we will see our world acts like a big mirror, right? We, we, we reflect it back to us all the time that that is within or lacking within ourselves. And often when we're looking at others, then it's an indicative of something we're seeing or experience within ourselves as well, to your point, to some degree for sure. Cool. Do you think ego comes from the scarcity of self-preservation? What do you mean by that? When people feel threatened. Yeah, I don't quite understand <laughs> Okay, either. so if we look, people which usually like to display or portray their ego on a larger scale... Is that because they are feeling scared or threatened with their identity or that p- they feel that people will, they will lack the credibility in the people's eyes? So therefore, it's a scarcity of self-preservation. You feel like it's sometimes like a super compensation for something that they once did not possess. Mm. And now that they do, it's like a, it's sort of like a, an overwhelming need to make up for lost time. It, it may be. It may be is the answer, but it's not, again, it's not an exact. It's not definitive, it's a, yeah, it's no, relative. It's definitely not definitive. Yeah. But, uh, they, they, you know, when, when f- there's people I've worked with that their ego kicks in or they come across and, and actually they have got a lot of ego driving them, it's because there's actually something they're not feeling within themselves that's really fulfilled. You know, in fact, the, the people that are super confident and super comfortable in their own skin don't need the title, don't need mm. to make the announcement. It's funny need, You know, don't need the recognition. Yeah. Their, their day is not upset by somebody else's perception. When I got the, well, when I started to gain more actual confidence in myself. I stopped training for five months. I think you were similar, right? Um, mm. So um, <laughs> we felt that we had to like build this exterior shell, this armor to hide the inner insecurities and weakness of our self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And then when we um, developed our confidence to a point where it was over overriding those, those external or false <coughs> limiting factors, I actually just stopped training because I didn't find or f- need that necessity to train to fuel that inner self-worth or happiness. It come from within anyway. I love it. You, My, you, myself personally, like I reckon, uh, and we, we've discussed this before, that anyone that typically finds themselves in the, the fitness industry, particularly around um, training in the gym, that desire which has driven them there in the first place has often come from a place of some form of body um, orthorexia and dysmorphia, mm-hmm. which is, you know, body image stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Led us to yeah. be sort of like a su- super compensation with our physical yeah. frames. And I think w- within that, like at the same time, you might naturally gravitate towards it due to a combination of things. We'll get there in two seconds neurochemistry or maybe even your um, natural abilities. Yeah. But within that, a- as you sort of develop or grow, I personally have felt sort of like a like a social or even peer group expectation that, oh, you're the strong guy, you're the bigger guy. And when I'm not that, well, who am I away from it? And people 
It's a bit like you know what I mean? This, this identity, so therefore you got to. That's what to I mean. Live up to it. So for me, when I took after doing over ten years of weight training, straight, mm. straight to then uh, deciding to completely flip the script and box full time, which is a mm. completely contradictory goal, which resulted in ten to fifteen kilos of body uh, weight reduction. The biggest challenge I found with that was not the fighting, not the pressures, the way I felt about myself looking back in, in, in the mirror each morning, having not possessed the the frame that kind of in my own mind formed a, a big part of my identity for, yeah. for a long part. It reminds me of a quote, what I want to say was, uh, happiness is an inside job. Oh, yes. Yeah. That is, that's a great happiness yeah. is an inside job. See, I'm fascinated because you guys work very deeply, obviously, within fitness specifically, and I do, but the speciality I have is really the headspace stuff, right? So mindset yep. and all that inner um, I did piece. want to ask you about your exercise regime. Yeah, we'll, we'll mm. come to that in a sec. And, and I'm fascinated because you guys were seeing something you just said there. So you, you work with coaches, you work with coaches that coach people, and I find it interesting that you say you actually see a lot of people within industry that have started or commenced that journey because of what I was hearing, a lack of mm-hmm. confidence within body and self-image or something going on. Is that is that something you see lots? Definitely. I think even just um, there's a big fallacy of authority within the industry and people mm-hmm. are walking around trying to promote health when on the insides they're the furthest thing from it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's a misconception that abs means you're healthy no, because completely. you're you're probably riddled with anxiety or depression, yeah. inflammation, autoimmunity. Health, yeah. could be a, yeah. could be a number of things, but the picture of health for me goes yeah. far beyond yeah. your six-pack. So I'll share with you two things while you guys are talking. I love what you were saying with your training there as well, Jake, that you kind of didn't need to. You're kind of describing what the Buddha termed as enlightenment, right? Because the path to enlightenment, according to Buddha, was just sit still, do nothing, which sounds really easy. But if you try just sitting still and doing nothing, right? So yeah. actually become enlightened is it's simple in concept, but it's not so simple to get to that sense of fulfillment silently and quietly yeah. within. And I think certainly from, I, I do work with, I've got collaborators and you guys are now fresh amongst that as well within fitness. And when I'm working with them and what we see is people that are deeply ingrained and in working in fitness, I think those that are doing a lot in digital Here's a measure of if you're really comfortable within yourself. If your mood or temperament becomes disrupted because of a lack of interaction from your followers, then there's something to look at, right? Because of a what of If a lack of interaction lack from of your interaction. followers, right? Yeah. If your mood or temperament changes because you don't feel you're getting mm. the validation that you wanted, if your mood changes yeah, yeah. because social's not quite giving you what you wanted, mm-hmm. there's something internally to look at because that's allowing your external world to change your internal state. It's a good scale. Because, I mean, with the shadow banning and everything which goes on on Instagram, initially it did piss me off, you know, if I, if I wrote a post and it was about improving the health and I'd even try to pay Instagram to promote it mm-hmm. and they'd disapprove it, even though I wasn't endorsing any food or any supplements and I was just quoting published medical re- references to, to uh, aid with the reverse of diabetes and they disapprove it and then they reduce your... Uh, non-following exposure from 36% down to 2%. Mm-hmm. That initially sort of, that, that sort of thing pissed me off. But then as you know, I Mine's up, fucked. Yeah, I, me and you don't <laughs> give a fuck anymore. We're like, yeah, fuck it. We'll post I'm just giving it a wide berth for a couple of weeks yeah. and hope that it'll just reset. Yeah. Yeah. See, Angus, you know, ACDC, yes. the band, right? And in my first book, there's a chapter yes. in the first book and I talk about the rock star, but the modern day rock star, um, Angus Young would talk about the fact flash guitars and that, who needs them? A real rock star doesn't need any of that crap. You can mm. go play your guitar in a street corner because mm. you're doing it for the music and the craft. You're not doing it to want to be the rock star, right? Mm. Dave Grohl, I love, I relate this to the triangle player. He gets the guy that does um, percussion mm. on the triangle. Dave Grohl. To do, uh, sorry, not Dave Grohl. Um, what band are we talking about? <sighs> I'll come back to it. He was in Nirvana. Jethro Tull. Oh, you're on about Kurt, Kurt Cobain. Cobain. No, the one he died. Who's the one that got the new band? I'm, oh, well, that, no, that was Dave Grohl. Yeah, he was the Dave drummer Grohl. and then he made Foo Yeah, his new yeah. band. Yeah, so, his, his, so it was Dave Grohl. Was yeah. right. So his, he got his percussion guy. I'm fairly sure he recorded an entire album playing every instrument in it. Too. It probably is. Yeah. So, anyway, it was Dave Grohl. He, he's got his videos, you can find them, with his percussion guy doing a solo on the triangle. <laughs> and that's how many variations how rock- of the triangle? No. Yeah, but I mean? here's the thing. That's But I love that. How rock stars are. And, and I observe the same. Like I used to go to Mozart concerts in Vienna and 
the violin concerto, right? The guy at the front's always getting the applause, but the guy in the back row's thrashing his brains out. And you can hear this thing adding value to the piece yeah. of music all the way through. The point is this. You don't need to be out front being put under a spotlight to be a rock star. You'd be a rock star by doing what you do really well and not really caring. Yeah. Where, where, you know, what, what that means to everybody else outside yeah, yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. So you're a rock music fan? Yeah, I'll, all music. Oh, you'll enjoy training down here then. We've <laughs> some good tunes on, don't we? Hendrix. I remember because Zep. my old man influenced me a lot with, with music. So I grew up listening to yeah. Zep and Stones and ACDC, all of that stuff. And I remember being, because I grew up in Hobart in Tasmania. Yes, we were talking about So up at the, um, the, TCA, the TCA ground there, they'd just redone it and they, they built a very traditional looking white picket fence mm -hmm. around the, the entire oval. Um, then about a month later, they had the ACDC concert there and I would have only been, I don't know, 10, 11, mm. 12, something small. And there's all the yobbos up there, pissed, listening to ACDC, <laughs> ripping the pickets <laughs> off the fence, air yeah. guitaring it, just completely fucked the whole ground. It was uh, good, good memories, good memories. Some good songs in there. Yeah. What, what did you want? You said you wanted to ask about my training routine. Yeah, you, no, I'm, just, what, what I'm just interested into what... Um, uh, what the sort of, how about what the sort of exercise do you do and how and that yeah exactly yeah. interested in how you find your cognitive and work performance mm. is benefited with health and training and Got whether it. you have noticeable uh, lapses in uh, efficiency and performance when yeah. those two things stray along with nutrition yeah nutrition yeah. And, the, and the training so it's there's the health and fitness to me and the, certainly the space we're talking in here with the, the way you guys work in industry, it's, it's a trilogy, right? You've got nutrition, which is a bulk of it, right? That's, you've got the actual exercise part that you do, mm -hmm. but then you've got the headspace and the mindset. And that's what and I've those, been looking at more recently. And that's the three, right? And so when I've done work in health and fitness before with collaborators, I've, done, I've been to a couple of sports teams and worked with a couple of sports people, a couple of guys that are trainers or bodybuilders. And they obviously go full bore on the training and the nutrition. And one of them, my mate Dave, who's a champion, he, he's been my trainer at different times, yep. you know, where he helps uh, iron out my diet and, and pushes me, which I'll tell you about that first time we trained together. And so you've got that third one, though, which is the headspace piece. And to be frank, that's the one that keeps you in it, right? Mm. If, there's a, if there's an ace card in those three, mm. it's the headset and yeah. the mindset. And the headspace that you're in that drives the other two anyway, right? It's choosing it every day. So all three are powerful. And that's, that's kind of how I get involved in industry on that side. Massive. I mean, like when I, when I do my seminars, I always start by saying it's, it's a, a foundational pyramid. And mm -hmm. at the very bottom, what every single result, be it performance, uh, physique or functionality, has to be built upon this synergistic equal relationship between health and happiness. Yeah. Because if you are healthy, but you're not happy, then what the fuck is the point? Yeah. But then if you're, you're happy, but you're not healthy, then that happiness is going to yes. be short-lived. You know? And then from that, that builds the adherence, the happiness, the contingent, like uh, the uh, consistency, not contingencies, uh, you know, to, to elevate and keep pushing forward to enable this like preserved level of results and yeah. push forward with that. Yeah. There's another, there's a guy called Chris Penfold who's a champion as well. And Sydney runs one of the F45s there. And we, we do work in this space. And, the starting point, I think, for anybody when they, they really want to get serious about working on their physicality, their health and their well-being, is first of all, finding their why and connecting mm. with that. Because if they don't really connect with and it's got to be something... And I don't think people go far enough down the rabbit hole with the why. Yeah. That's it. So they'll get to the first answer. Yeah, but why that? Yes. Continue down your path until yeah. you find yourself... And Chris is something that you saw some graph. Chris is great at that because he he really drives. It's got to be something far more depth than I want to look good, right? That's exactly. that surface. That's the aesthetics, and that that's might be part that's of the it. vehicle cool. for that. That, that, that might be part of it. that's cool. It's not wrong again, but there's there's other readers, uh, other reasons, and other drivers. And so the more we can really get connected with our why, the better chance we've got of staying on path with whatever goals and fitness that we're looking at. Um, Taking on board. Yeah, it helps people understand who they are. Have you got any questions which can help people understand their why, for instance, other than asking why? <laughs> well, there yeah, you yeah, go, right there. Yeah. When somebody, I know Chris would talk to this as well. When somebody goes, hey, I want to get fitness, uh, I want to get fit, I want to get well. Well, literally, you just keep asking mm. why. It's it, the best path you can take in trying to help somebody else discover is to be like a curious child, right? That's yeah. that question you get from a child six times to do with the same line of questioning. And it's what you said before, Mr. Boone, it's like going deeper. Just keep asking why is often, because people know. 
you don't need me. Nobody actually needs me to go in and tell them what they sometimes need is somebody that can help facilitate that out of them. But nobody needs you to go and tell them what they need to do themselves. They already have that knowledge yep. within. Mm. It's just drill deep well, enough. I'd say something similar to my clients. I don't need to know what your why is. That might be something very near and dear and personal to you that you don't yep. feel comfortable sharing, but it is important that you identify it yourself. Yeah. It's like with my screening form. It's a 47-page screening form now. Yeah, I remember you tell me that. Yeah, it's a hell of a document. Yeah. Th- this is the only document in fitness that I need to shave while I'm filling it in, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we look at everything, right? Okay, so we, we got like your eyes, your tongue, everything, okay? And... A lot of that isn't actually for me. Yeah. It's for their to own self-awareness of their current state of health. Yeah, you know, and then they 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 start to think, oh fuck, actually, <laughs> you know, I I I do have loose stools, or yeah, my left side of the stomach does hurt. I thought that yeah. was normal, and then they develop this self-awareness because that enables them to understand their starting position. Yeah, and then anything you do from that moment forward, you can refer back to that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the other thing as well I find from a mindset piece and working this is making sure that you really get people to not compare their journey to others mm. and to find a path for their wealth and fitness that fits in with their life doesn't make it their life. Do you get what I mean? Like some I get people go what you mean. they become almost obsessed where it takes over and it's not about that either. It's because that's not wellness either. Mm. That's not health and well being is to sacrifice other components. And we're back to the Buddha mm. who was with a happy little stomach, right? And fully enlightened. So it's about finding a path to uh, fitness and nutrition and health that blends in with the other priorities and important components of your world, not to purely take over from that. Yeah, and I think like a lot of people meet frustrations in the industry because they find themselves in the hands of coaches that want to train people the way that they train themselves but unless you've got very specific composition or strength performance goals a lot of people it's it's ridiculous for me to say mark i want you to eat six meals a day you're going to train six times but you've got your life your family your business all these other things going on and most people just need to almost just do what used to be normal as a human being which is eat foods from the earth eat well and plenty of it yeah. And move. Yeah. So a little bit of strength. If, if health and overall arching health and wellness is the goal, I think some people need, yes, they need some strength training. Yes, they need some cardio. Yes, they need something like some yoga, meditation, whatever. I don't yeah. know, would you agree? Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've and that's what we're talking about, that lifestyle programming. What would you say the, the most toxic emotions or mindsets are what we face in this climate today? Generally, wow, that's a big question. Yeah. I love that. Say it again. What are the most toxic, toxic emotions? emotions. Yeah. I, I could simplify that to two, right? Because if you were to take, uh, there's a million emotions. You could put them all and describe them all. You could put them, imagine a seesaw. You've got the neutral point in the middle and you've got either end of the, t- the seesaw. And the two words on either end of those seesaws are quite simply, this is about your post. You love know or fear. And to answer your question, Jake, I would say that hate or fear are possibly the two most detrimental because they're the ones, they restrict, they limit, they make things shrink. Love, making decisions based on love, meaning that it's something positive, is the energy that expands, it creates possibilities. Fear and hate are the energies that restrict and kind of shrink everything. And so I would say those two. But where does the hate come from? Well, then you're back to then that onion, to that. Yeah, the thick exactly. onion soup of the layers of human behavior, right? The thick, the thick soup of the layers of human behavior. You can describe this to me in a second, <laughs> my friend. Yeah, uh, yeah. and and uh, you know uh, those fears and those hates. It could have been environmental. You, I mean, an obvious example, right? There's two, I'm going to give you two names in history, mm-hmm. who were very similar personality styles in terms of how they functioned. They had an individualistic motivation. And it, a lots about them were similar, but history has judged them very differently. And as soon as I say the names, you're going to know. I, I think I could Winston guess. Churchill and Adolf Hitler, right? And I would have said and, Trump and Hitler. Well, well, but but Hitler's, I mean, there's hate, and it's you know, is it, to the darkest level, right? And where did that come from? And if you read and understand a lot of history, that was kind of fed into. He learned it through his younger years mm. and through watching the impact of World War One. He gets, he believed what he was espousing. That's hate. You know, so there's many environmental factors and you're back to that kind of mixture of our life experiences. It's definitely learned. Le- life yeah. experience. Well, of course, no, no child. When you when you see any child. When you child, see them as a kid. 
Is this not the smile? Uh, you yeah. know it. Yeah. You know it. I've got another thing coming up. In a, a it's funny. I'll, I'll, again, this is like you're asking me about stuff. I was literally tidying up this yeah. part of the book yesterday because yeah. it's like racism children. to do with psychopaths, to do with psychopathy and neuroscience. There's researchers that would argue they have found what they call a gene, kind of like a warrior gene that could potentially have a play. However, that alone doesn't guarantee that somebody's going to be down that path. And there was actually a researcher, I forget his name right now, he found he actually had that gene in him. And his family described him as an angry person, but he was a scientist that was well-respected, but he had the same gene that they found in a lot of these personalities and characters. And back to your point, you look at any child, no child is born That's what I mean. with hate in their eyes. Um, you know, So whilst even in the, a very minor percentage of people that scientists might suggest that, you know, we're talking psychopaths here, right, in the darkest level, um, may have some sort of gene and they don't feel empathy the way the rest of us do, but environment also has a play for a lot, you know, for the types of people that we deal with daily. Yeah, I was about to say. What's the gene? Um, well, you know, there's many to come into a play. Obviously, Compt could be there, you know, the inability to break down the stress chemicals effectively. But then copper as well, that that plays a big element because that can also impair the efficient dopamine metabolism. So when you look at Charles Manson, apparently he's got the highest levels of... Uh, for anyone he's a serial know, killer, he's yeah. He's the cult killer, yeah. He yeah. got people to murder for him. So. Yeah, for him. Yeah. Uh, so like when, when he was tested, he had the, uh, I believe from what, what I've read, the highest level of copper in anyone, okay? And this impairs the dopamine metabolism. So therefore there's elements of that. So there's, there's the genes, there's the environment, there's the heavy metals, you know, there's many things which come into play. What I was going to add when you mentioned there, which made me laugh at the start is um, we were speaking... <laughs> I get I get these funny ideas sometimes. Okay. <laughs> I got that when I met you the other night. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> one of our conversations when we were just chilling at yours was we were spiritually enlightened. Yeah. Okay. Basically, we just we just had a whack of DMT, and uh, I come out with some weird stuff after. So I, I was I was saying right. Do we see the smile or do we feel the smile? Because when we look at babies, they aren't conditioned. They don't know what a smile is, but they'll smile back. Now, when we smile, obviously, we have this biomagnetic field of energy. Okay, everything does. Okay, everything, when we break it down on an atomic level, it's just energy vibrating. Okay, so when we look at thoughts, feelings, and emotions and behavior, they're all vibrational frequencies and they change from when you change your frequencies mm -hmm. and thoughts. So, is it because when we smile, we physically change the level of frequencies of which we are vibrating at and that resonates and we pick up on that on a deeper personal almost spiritual level uh, and we feel that which makes us more aware of the smile because don't forget it's, that smiling is a universal language yeah. okay so how we can communicate we're, we're to anyone in the world we're discussing yeah. it that you can intellectually understand what a smile is but before you can do so do we feel as a it? baby a baby will smile in response to a mm. smile yeah yeah, it's, it's true. So they're energetically picking up the energy. So first book, again, I taught, we live in a planet right now. There's something like 100, I'm going to say 196 or 197 recognized countries. There are 7,000 recognized languages. There's thousands of more subtle ones outside of that. Half the world's population, billions of people speak the top 10. And none of those are the two common languages that all of us speak. Because that's kindness and love, and neither of those oh, are used with an, neither of those you need to utter a single word for because you demonstrate them through action. So which could is you energy. That again for the listeners. Yeah, the, the, yeah that's yeah, the energy. Yeah, I yeah, think that, that, that's yeah. that's to to really reiterate your point. Yeah. I think is there's something in that because to me you go kindness and love translate across the whole globe without the utterances of a single word. Yeah. That universe and it's an it's, it's understood mm. and it cuts through. The deaf can hear it. The blind can see it. All right. Oh, it's energetic and so I, I think to your point a smile yeah. is that not bundled in with that a smile exactly. kind of accompanies kindness and love to some degree I'd say yes to your point mate so yeah so we feel it before we see it I think it's decided <laughs> there we go it's decided that, that's cl closed that, that, that seemed like a Buddha enlightening moment right there yeah. <laughs> I, we have all sorts of weird conversations like this what was you had some weird stuff as well <laughs> Mine usually come up in the middle of the night and I have to write them down on the phone knowing that I'm not going to remember. notes. He's got these, these notes what he writes in his phone. Some of them make no Some sense Some of them are weird. <laughs> I, I bet. I was. I actually wanted to come back to something you said as well, Jake, and that is, again, back to industry somewhat because I, I, I'll share a story. I find it quite funny. My, my trainer, I've got a couple, Chris and Dave. When I started training with Dave, like I've, I'm going to be 50 my next birthday. I've had several surgeries now. I've had spinal surgery. I've had 
all mm-hmm. different things. And I don't, my driver is no longer, I don't want to go and I'm training for bodybuilding of any kind. I never wanted to do that. What I was saying before. Dave understood my training. When, I remember when him and I met, he's a great guy, just great energy. I'd seen him around the gym a lot and he, we got chatting. I was needing a trainer. And then he said to me, so, so how hard do you want to push me on a scale of one to 10? I said, like 10. Mm. He's, he's got, well, like, don't you mean like a nine? It gives us somewhere to stretch. And like, no, dude, I do a 9.5 myself, right? I'm a speaker for a living. I'm highly yeah. driven. I'm like, like, I need you to push me that extra bit. And months later, he said he got it. He designed me a plan. And anyway, he got it. I, I had surgeries. Then Dave's moved away. I wasn't working with Dave. I was in my local gym. And to your point, a trainer came up and he'd seen me train. He went, mate, I, I can see you going really well. Love the way you train. You know, I could make you look so much better than you look right now. And I'm thinking- that's what? a fucking a f- interesting approach. Uh, wow. yeah, I'm like, I'm like, Fuck I'm like, you too. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm like, uh, okay, so first of all, kid, uh, what makes you think I, like, I'm quite comfortable on skin anyway, and what makes you think I'm training about you? That, see, he's projecting onto me, yeah. it's back to something you said, his, he's really telling me his more order about- of value. Yeah, he's telling me more about his values and what he values yeah. and why he's training, but he didn't ask me my why. He's just assuming- What is it, Jake? Seek to understand before <laughs> yeah, being seek understood? Yeah, to understand before being understood. That's curvy. Yeah. That's one of these I'm ingrained with all this shit. Uh, yeah, no, you, you digest knowledge. Yeah. So it's just, it, it made me think about it when you're describing like that in the industry, how people make these quick assumptions or dive in, and I've certainly experienced that firsthand I think taking time if you work in industry if you work and there's so many fields and modalities there's trainers there's nutritionists there's so many modalities that's what the dinner we were at the other night Mm. whatever one take the time to really ask questions and understand what's important to that person and not assume and with you being like what you're seeking there from your trainer is someone to motivate and push you but that's going to look very differently from person to person Correct. because they need to have their own emotional intelligence to be able to figure out your psychology and what makes you tick, you know? Like if you came and yelled at me like a drill sergeant and I was at boot camp, I'd yeah. stand up and throttle you. Correct. You know what I mean? Like- <laughs> well, some, some, and this is, now you're talking personality, right? Because yeah. there's, and again, it's really dumbing it down to simplify it. There are some people you can be that blunt with yeah. and they'll be fine with it. In fact, that's going to be the best way. But there's some others But there's others that that would put them into tears, you know, mm. you, you know, because that's now the makeup of the person. Hence, you're back. That's the field, all these layers. That's the stuff I really work with. With all the bodies of work I do in businesses, it's all linked by people and behavior. And it's all these layers of the more you can understand people, the better you can improve your communication with them in all facets. And then here's a question. Who's responsible for your health? Me. Who's responsible for your financial well-being? Me, myself. Who's responsible for your communication with everybody else on the planet? Me. Yeah. That's so it's when we get to that sort of scenario, who's responsible is I'm responsible to try mm. and adapt my communication to get better more and get a better relationship with everybody I'm interacting with. It's not to expect that they're going to just adapt and be happy with my default size of one mm. size fits all. So yeah, back to your point, the drill sergeant approach will work with some people, some people. for sure, but it might be off-putting for others. You've got to find a way to, can you, if you can find, and maybe you niche, maybe you specialize and people come to you just for that if you want to, cool, whatever. But I think the more you can be in terms of adaptive and reading people and understanding people, you can be more successful and make a real difference with the people you're working with. Within this. So what, when you go into a business and you get hired by a company what's your process do you go in and you observe and watch the behavior for a while and see how, how things are naturally panning out before you sort of and you uh, i suppose manifest your plan and direction yeah. that you want to take things great question depends so my i do a lot of keynote and keynote isn't so much doesn't have the luxury of going in to do analysis in a business so can and you it just tell us a bit to? more about what keynote exactly yeah means cool for those yeah so a, key, a keynote, keynote is, is uh being booked to turn up and do like an hour-long 45 minute hour-long power session across the teams, across the whole business, at the conference, to focus on very specific key themes and takeouts they want from that event. Yep. And so you don't have the, but what I do love doing then within that is you still take from me, I bespoke my content. I don't have a talk that I turn up and do. I bespoke my content to make sure it hits that brief. So mm. I take as thorough a brief I can. And the more transparent that the business are with me to trust me with that, it's not going anywhere. It's just so I can understand because with that level of understanding, I can now adapt the content to really hit the key note themes that they want to hit. So that's keynote is that kind of power. And, have, and then, and have you found that the business heads come back to you with feedback saying that they've, uh, 
observed noticeable change after yeah. those kinds of presentations. Yeah, for sure, for that sure. Even even in that, yeah, even in that, even in that short time, there's people that will get something. You know, it's about getting one or two things from that they can put to action. So you try and make it practical. So that's keynote. Then from the the next part of the model would be to do actual programs, like to then go and embed specific bodies of work that programs. And it's at that point I've probably got a bit more luxury to build in as part of that mm. program. Uh, some time and analysis for myself or somebody that I've got a couple of people work with me and get one of the guys on myself to go in and do that analysis. And then based on that analysis, we'll then make the recommendations and bespoke the programs rather than just taking them off shelf. So that's the second layer. And then the third kind of layer, well, I've got two more layers. The third is I do do coaching and Mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys do a lot of this, right? It's that one-on-one. You've got a whole business model built around it for people to do that. I really enjoy that. And it's very fulfilling, as you know, because you get that, you know, that deep that work with that, and the energy with one person. It's just no longer best use of filling my calendar with one-on-one. Mm. A business gets more value mm-hmm. out of me with their entire workforce in a, in a session than having me one-on-one with six or eight people. So whilst I enjoy it, I now cap how many people I do one-on-one work with at any moment in time. And that's normally around six, no more. Six, maybe eight at a push. But yeah. even then, it's, it's no, just... I can relate. It, 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 it's my, just not best scale. use of my time on the calendar anymore. Same, yeah. I mean, look, I've, I've not done one-to-one coaching. You've done online coaching, but yeah, mainly mentoring and seminars for the past two years. And yeah, in, in a very smaller scale, I do the same thing. So Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm in here starting at 5.30. I've got a group of six girls that come through at 6 a.m. and a group of six that come at 6.45. So yeah. that, for me, is about to provide value to 12 people yeah. rather than it is the two in, in, in that time frame. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's rewardable. Yeah, so you, Re- you, rewarding. Yeah, you're rewarding. You find the path that works for you. And there's, there's people I know, there's people I collaborate with that that is their business is they do one-on-one coaching and, and they love it. And so I can collaborate. And when I've got people that need, you know, if we come through keynote, through programs and they're looking for one-on-one, mm. I can actually pass them on to people I believe are going to be a good and match. And the bit that I, I suppose excites me and keeps me driven is the um, the problem solving and the pattern recognition of not just the biomechanics with exercise, but the pattern recognition of personality types mm-hmm. as well. So we talked about the motivational sense of the yeah. direction that you're going to go. You can sort of start to um, categorise people and what approaches and you might have the one message that you're trying to get across to them whether that be about execution whether it be about nutrition mm-hmm. lifestyle or science but you can say that exact same thing in five different Six ways different ways and yeah, it might not, get the, it. the four ways might not click yeah yeah it's like i was saying to you i miss the one-to-one coaching in person because what i like doing is analyzing the human behavior funnily enough and yeah. the symptoms and look for pattern recognition where i could th- come up with new ways to assess people to gain insight into their physiological well-being mm-hmm. so what won't that look like oh just like okay so you've got like iridology for yeah, instance yeah. you know when when someone's got a mark on the iris and i can tell when something's wrong with the ovaries or the pregnant and i can cross correlate that and then i think right what well, other symptoms did they become apparent was it pain in the si joint or you know <laughs> i mean stuff like that you know so <laughs> what do you say i said i hope i'm not pregnant i hope you're not pregnant <laughs> yeah yeah That'd be bad, dude. <laughs> so you've only just moved to Melbourne. You'll tell me what nine months, months six ago. months? Not, not even. Maybe not about even? Uh, what is it? July, midwinter. So if I'm going to do it, let's move at the coldest time of at the, the year. Worst it's only going to get time better. to move. Well, you know, I grew up in Scotland, and I, I found uh, my Scottish should be no stranger to the kicking. cold and wet. Then I, I reckon, though, if I was, I don't really go to the UK much these days. I feel like a tourist there. But I reckon if I was to go back to Scotland, though, I'd I'd be stripped of my passport because my <laughs> my ability to tolerate the colds definitely dropped from when I was a young lad, like running around in winters and snows. You'd understand the UK with oh, t-shirts. UK's bad. William yeah. Wallace would chop your like hand it, off man. at the airport. That's not that bad. I really, I know everybody talks about the weather. I like it. I don't mind. That's part of the appeal. Is actually the season changes down here. Well, when nice. we go anywhere else, it's amazing. Yeah, in terms of the weather. <laughs> I love the European feel of Melbourne. That's you know, I've spent so much time in Melbourne over it's very the years. culturally diverse. It feels more Europe to me mm. in Australia. I've been in Australia seventeen years now. Mm. Two years in Brisbane, most of it in Sydney. and But within the time, I'm, as a speaker, I'm always going around Australia. I've spent so much time in Melbourne, and I really could be based in either Melbourne or Sydney. Mm-hmm. Three of my main four collaborators, like my agents, my PR, and my digital guys are in Melbourne. 
I felt like a change. I was kind of in suburbia in Sydney. I just knew moving house wasn't going to cut it. It just, I don't know, call it intuition. It just intuitively felt like it was the right time. So I bit the bullet and made the move down. I'm glad I had. I really like it. Really oh, like yeah. it. I'm like, I, well, I, you guys can probably relate yeah. on that. I mean, for, you've been a global flights. resident for two years and this yeah. is the longest you've been in one place. You exactly. Yeah. Like I've done 49 flights this year. Yeah. And then I've literally just got the place up the road. I've got an apartment now for six months. So that's the longest I'll, I would have been in a country for. Over two Why years. here? Why Melbourne for six months? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, seriously, I've, it's my it's my team down here. You know, I've got I've got my best friends down here. I love them to pieces. There's Babs, there's Holly. You know, there's Lucas as well, who's yeah. there on the night. Yeah, I met Lucas. Is yeah. the big <laughs> hair, yeah, yeah, the, the fro, really great intelligence yeah. around neuroscience. He's got his new nootropic pro- well. product that's coming out. So in next next week, I think. Oh, I can't, like, I can't uh, wait yeah. to try it. it to make oh, some product I, photos of it this morning. He's given me the raw ingredients. I've been, he'd been playing around with the dosages. He, he brings stuff around to me. He's like, bro, I've got something for you to try out though. And you yeah, know, you put me in an anxiety attack last week. But it's like, it's like some stuff's like a little bit off the grid sort of thing if you get my drift. Um, and I'll be like, yeah, I'll try it out. And then I try it out and it's fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never ask somebody to do something that you haven't done yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to say, so I, like that, that was, was it the first, not was it the first time you were at that dinner the other night? The f- yeah, I was meant to be at the other one, but that's oh, right, in the midst of putting this all together and falling ill, I couldn't make it. So, you know, like, because I've been a bit hibernating as well, like just <clears> writing <throat> books, build my academy, like online world, all this stuff. And, I, and part of me this year was like, right, I'm going to get out more and just say yes to more. And the reason I ended up there was funny. I was flying over to Dubai to do a keynote for McDonald's Mm -hmm. and I met Anthony on the flight. We had one drink, that one drink in the bar on the flight turned into six hours, seven hours. We just gently went, mate, when you get back, you're in Melbourne. We do this future of uh, health dinner. Sorry, who was it you were with? Anthony. Yeah. Um, who was sitting, I don't know if you... Yeah, the bald guy. Was it like a... Yeah, it's a really nice... You you guys were sitting next to each other when... I was leaving at the end of the yeah, night. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, we're yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and he said that he's who invited me and I just said, yeah, sounds great. Say yes, but I'm so glad I did because mm. the group of people in that room were fascinating, like really intelligent, obviously great in their fields. But what I really loved is that very open-minded, which in medical circles isn't always the case. You know, it's not a bad yeah. thing, but they, they were particularly open-minded, I found. And so really it was... Uh, synergetically kind of meeting people like you guys yeah. as well. It was just a brilliant... Way to get some new things. Yeah, we're probably we were having a good chat, chat, weren't we? Me and you, and then uh, you, you sense it that we're, we're having a cool conversation. Like, I'm gonna have to join you two guys. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I was getting a bit jealous over the yeah, other side of the like, table. This like, conversation looks this far up. too good. Yeah. I want to get involved. <laughs> it's kind of like speed dating, though, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, so hi, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> okay, move. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. But I was gonna say as well, I love because we got talking about the uh, you know the impact, of the effects of the essence of ayahuasca. Mm. Uh, which is we we went down a rabbit hole for that conversation because I was sharing in all the years I worked in Europe nobody believes me when I say this but it's true so I don't really care I worked for Kentucky in Europe for 10 years I've never touched a drug Right, I didn't. I when I was in Amsterdam twice every month, I've been surrounded by an, an illegal. I've drug. been surrounded by no, no, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. I've yeah. touched alcohol, which is a drug, but you know, in the in the context, you know, yeah. we were talking about with men. Uh, I've been in Amsterdam twice every month, and the opportunity was there, but I was just never tempted. It just never appealed to me. Mm. It wasn't even a. Re- I didn't have to fight to resist it. it just never appealed. Yeah. But we got chatting. So the, the two Carters here, the Carter yeah. boys, got chatting. And I'd said, if there was one I would try, it would be the ayahuasca effect because the studies going back to the essence of that, really, they call it the God drug because it takes people down. You know know what we were talking before and you mentioned that you stopped training for six months. And I think you're kind of beating around the bush a little bit. But the first time, so I was saying about my insecurities (laughs) of wanting to, you know, become this alpha male physically. The first time I did DMT. Same. So I, I just dissolved our channel, ego. Channel all this sort of young man aggression into a positive manner <laughs> through the gym, <laughs> and <laughs> the uh, the first DMT experience basically just <laughs> deflated that entire ego mm. and made me realize that all these things Gone. that are making me so aggressive and and um, you know driven it no longer were relevant. It put everything DMT, into perspective right? and real, realigned my value system. This is the thing, right? Like uh, I actually had some. And realized that 11 hours ago. Yeah. 
because it was like a full moon. It's supposed to be better when you do it, when you do a full moon and stuff like that. And you can like think of questions with intention, write it down, and then you go into your subconscious and it can help you align and understand what process to take better. So it's pretty in-depth shit. But it's like we were saying, you know, with our training, mm. we when we used to train, because I, I turned around to Babs and I'm like, dude, I, 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 when I used to train, I used to have a kill switch. It was just a switch where I could flick mm. and it'd be like, I could fucking kill. Right, and I'd use that aggression for training. But then after DMT, there isn't a kill, kill switch anymore. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't train with aggression, you train got with it. intention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I can relate completely. Like, yeah. I'm not an angry person, but I've got like yeah. a rage snap. No, and that is, it's a partly an addicting feeling mm. because it's powerful. You're full of so much confidence and nothing will stop you when that switch goes. And I became very good at being able to channel and turn that turn on, and, on off. and off. But yeah. I hate people that stomp around the gym <laughs> headphones on, mm. like, stay no, away exactly. from me, don't go into this area. Like, the most important thing with your exercise is that you're having fun and you're enjoying it and it's in a positive experience. But the ability, I find it so important for me, myself anyway, is to be able to drift in and out of those yeah, yeah. different mindsets. Flow states. Yeah, exactly. So during during the set, I'm a savage. As soon as yeah. it's done, mm. I'm going to laugh, I'm going to yeah, smile. Yeah, see, it. being the alpha is not about trying to be the alpha, that's the thing, right? Yeah, you yeah. be it, it's your behaviour. You yeah. don't need to try. Yeah. You lead by, and you also can chill. Yeah. It's, it's inherent within you. It's not, and it's calmness is real power, mm. not aggression, right? Calmness is real power. You said and it the other day to I me, think, yeah. the art of war yeah. yes. is to, what was it? D the art of war. So Sun Tzu, Sun, yes. 5 BC, yeah. first, arguably one of the first books on leadership. And whilst it was military, it's now adapting. Mm. That's but, what it was. I was trying he, to tell someone about this and yeah. I was like, it's the first book on. Well, so it's a military strategy, yeah. but it's now adapted for strategy in general and business and leadership, right? And they use it as metaphors and he's got all these things, but- the it's art of war, to, the to art read. of war, he said, is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Mm. That's one of the principles is you, you don't have to have a fight. Like, can you subdue them without fighting? That takes talent. And to do with anger, I actually think there's nothing fear, more- It doesn't it? There's Weren't nothing more intimidating. Negative emotions? So you say that again, mate? It also takes fear though, doesn't it? You're talking about that as negative emotion. No, well, we'll, well, actually, we'll have a conversation about fear in a second. I just did a TV slot with 10 on that. We'll okay. talk about that in a sec, but- um, you know, what, what you we were talking about Sun Tzu before. I was going to flag something for you there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, anger. Hang yeah. it. There, yeah. right. There's actually nothing more intimidating than somebody who's really freaking angry coming up to you. And if they come up and yell at you, you go, yeah, they're angry. But how about this one? When they come up and say, Jake, you have no idea. Oh, yeah. How angry I am <laughs> right now. With the calmest voice and looking right, I think that's more. That's more. Whoa, right? You, you watch all the movies. The scary ones are the ones that don't say much. Yeah, the calm, yeah. right? Yeah, the calm. So fear. Now, here's the thing with fear, and I, I, as a speaker as well, I get it, right? I, I even said it earlier. There's two uh, extremes on the seesaw: love and fear. Better decisions driven from love, but not all fear is bad. We're hardwired with fear, and fear has what has allowed us as a species to evolve. If we didn't have fear. Our species would have wiped themselves out already, right? Because, mm -hmm. you you know, that fight or flight, hardwired, all these things. Fear is actually a way of keeping us safe. The only challenge is that we've built these layers of the brain, our reptilian, onto conscious, our subconscious. And the situations that we used to go into fear for fight or flight, we apply that same chemical natural auto reaction to a difficult conversation with the boss or something, you know, it's not, it's not the same level. We, we're going into fear about things that we don't need to. And that's the stuff the fears that I talk to people about is you can break the hell out of a lot of those and that's the ones you want to because that will liberate your life. But fear in itself is not a bad thing. Well, it's, 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 it's very the closely tied with excitement. It's the fears that you've learnt that you allow to drive your behaviours. At one time, that, that might have protected you. Yes, yeah, and it does it still. Isn't yeah, it? you learn that factor. fear. You learn that fear to maybe protect you, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it's going to serve and protect you for life. It's like learning to recognize what is that? Where's it come from? Does this still serve me a purpose or is it time to let go of it and not be driven by our fears? Does that make sense? So that's- well, I find a lot of people try and project their fears onto you as well. Completely. Well, when you look at it, right, with evolution, if, if we were present, let's say, I don't know, like 2000 years ago, if we were just focusing on being present in the moment and, and not continuously analyzing with the situation, the environment we're in, surveying the horizon and seeing if there's a threat, we would have died. Fuck, you know? completely. So f fear enabled us to analyze on past experience and adapt and evolve and basically create self-preservation. But now the environment, what we're living in, 
we still we don't need that little element of fear because we've we've modeled this this environment which we could arguably say that humans are a parasite in the world because we're <laughs> continuously taking and not giving back but we we don't need that element of fear but that yeah. fear is now debilitating it's paralyzing yes. and preventing people from now being in the present and that's the yes. next step what we need to transition to correct. to then move forward correct that's it's about the fear holds me back from being present and the sort of fears i see in people you've got some that are really deep seated and rooted from really crappy experiences in life that mm. happens but there's a lot more just from pretty normal stuff like fear of relationships fear of conversations fear of difficult conversations fear of uh, being rejected Right, fear of rejection, fear of not being seen in a favorable light in the business, in the office, by your peers, by your friends. All this sort of stuff, a pretty common bunch of fears that that's pretty, that's the stuff you can navigate your way through quite, quite easily, I think. But uh, why I was laughing earlier is that I literally just did a post yesterday saying that the polarity of human behavior is actually a matter of duality. Is that what you were looking for? Yeah, Expand yeah. on that, please. So I was curious what we were about it's, it. it's like yin and yang. It's mm -hmm. what comes up, must comes down. There can be no good if there's no evil. We need the contrast on the depth of possible perceived negative emotions. And negative emotions is only the, the coin of which we put on that feeling, right? Because who said feeling sad is actually a bad emotion? Correct. It's just, right. a that is an emotion, but we have labeled it as being sad. But yet, when we yeah. break down the feeling sad, usually that's because you've loved someone and to have loved someone, that's a beautiful thing, right? So that's a fortunate position to have ever loved someone than, you know, love someone and being sad than never love someone at all. And then we look at it, we need that duality because that, that depth of possibly being sad and that transition to happiness, it, it really gives happiness its value. And we can't continuously live in this state of purity because then we become monotonous, we become stagnant. So we do need the the the, the bitterness from both ends, the yeah. purity to really so amplify us. Do you so think a lot of that's tied in with the, um, I suppose, how much more common mental health is, just an unrealistic expectation to be happy all the time and not recognising that it's actually okay to not be okay or sad at times it, and that it's normal, human. Is there, though, an expectation to be happy all the time or is that... Not necessarily for me, but... It, but it, it's... I th I, well, as you're saying it, as desire. you're saying it, it makes me instantly think of this digital world where people project the best of themselves. And the well, it's that's not to say there's yeah. an underlying perception because we all know living a life of hum that's human is got its ups and downs. I was going to say there's a line I started when I did that Channel Ten interview a couple of weeks ago. Human beings are meaning-making machines. We give meaning to everything that happens to us, and we give it meaning, giving it good or bad. And it, I agree with you. It's mm. it's only good or bad the moment we decide to label and give us such. There's exactly. have you ever if you listen to works by Abraham Hicks, Esther yes. Hicks, who channels, she talks about this all the time. I love her work. She's she's great. But um, she talks about you use the word there as well, the contrast, and that is that the contrast is not a bad thing. Just people give it the label of the bad thing. The contrast of something not working and not is an indicator of. A different path to take you can take your focus off it not to give it the energy and not to be in but it shows you what you don't want it's a great educator mm. to show you what you don't want and helps you better understand what you do so contrast in itself is only negative because we allow it to be so we give it the meaning and then we get sunk into the abyss that, that could be used in the why discovery what actually Sometimes. happens right as well you know because we 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 perceive it as being negative to feel such emotions that we shy away from it so we oppress it we suppress it we don't speak about it and then it manifests and it worsens so really you know these feelings if anything we should honor and respect them go into them embrace them feel them then release them and then that will enable you to transition anyway but we don't give them that level of respect do, do you know there's a there's a story and I'm not quoting this, but it makes me think of it. And they, they talk about in Buddhist circles, right? Where a young boy in the village is given a horse. And, the, and somebody says, oh, that's great that the child's got a horse. And the Buddhist monk says, we'll see. And one day the boy's out riding on the horse and he falls off and breaks his leg. And the person goes to the Buddhist, oh, that's really bad that they've broken a leg. And the Buddhist monk says, we'll see. And then a war happens, everybody else has to go to war, but the boy's got a broken leg and he doesn't have to go to war. And the person observing looking going, that's good. And the Buddhist monk says, we'll see. You get the, uh, you know, yeah, is this, yeah, yeah. we give meaning to everything. It's, it's like we give meaning to everything. Steve Jobs, right? Sacked from his baby, right? Apple was first time. He got evicted out of his own company and it's like, boo hoo. But look what happened. That path, he came full circle back in and look what he created. So the things that often, and for me in my life, I've definitely learned this, is that the things that often seem to be the most abrupt, harshest things that can be upsetting. 
there's powerful learning in it and to love it and love them anyway. And what can you get out of it anyway? And when it's to do with other people, like you were talking there, like the relationship to love and loss, right? To love unconditionally means that if you love someone and then they go, but now you hate them, well, did you really love them in the first place? Because that's not really unconditional, Mm. is it? There's a condition placed on that, that I'll only love you as long as you're here for me and love me back. No, you know, so that's Mm. all these lessons that you learn. It takes time and life to do that, I think, sometimes. I think with humans as well, we, we think everything is for us. Right, we, we don't perceive the world as this synergistic ecosystem where something in the world might not be for us at all, but it could help the development or growth or the preservation of a different species. But yet, we are this very taking kind of organism. We think everything is for us. It is for our benefit. And if it's not, then it's useless. When a matter of fact, it could be for a different matter yeah. outside yeah. of us, yeah. Yeah, completely. Ego as a species. <laughs> <laughs> Getting too deep on this shit, man. I used to left the DMT, mate. Seriously. Yeah, you do it. <laughs> yeah, I do. Do do. You could probably a little bit too much. <laughs> You'll just spin off the earth. So. I'll be walking in with like monk stuff, sandals. Yeah. Like yeah. I said to you guys, I've not done. I don't do. I don't need to. But if there was one drug, I'd be curious about trying at some stage. It would be DMT mm. or the you know ayahuasca. Well, DMT I, I, you don't shit or throw. Yeah, up, is so. the is the ayahuasca? But because of the studies, that, like the whole god drug, there's similarity and experiences mm-hmm. of an enlightenment that comes with it. I'm curious. I'm curious. Yeah, you, you, you <laughs> get um, decreased delta waves. You get neuro, more neuroplasticity. It's got an 80% success rate with long-term abolishment of addiction. It helps with addressing PTSD. It does a lot of different things. This guy is like a walking stats fact checker, right? This, uh, I love it. Yeah, that's why I keep him around. <laughs> <laughs> and, and record it on here so I can listen back to it at least fucking five, ten times for the normal yeah, person. You get, you get more out of it, exactly. Yeah. You get more out of it. Yeah. And it's creative as shit. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. mm. What else, lads? But did you come on today with anything in particular in mind that you wanted to touch uh, on? Mate, I, I I was happy to come along, join you guys, see you guys again, shoot the breeze for sure. Because I know it was we we got on well the other night. I know mm. it said go have a look at the tech because the the from my side we're in a similar field in that. Um, interest in behaviour. Your TED mindset, talk reminded me. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, and I'm probably going to butcher the explanation of this, there's a video where there's two monkeys held in <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> this, this isn't starting good. This, this is back on the perception of value. Go for it. All right. And the, there's the two, two monkeys in a clear cell next to each other and he gets handed a nut You're about or the, something the sweet like that. or some shit. Yeah. yeah. Gets handed a, a nut and he'll do a little trick, put the ball in the thing yeah. and he gets rewarded a nut. And then he sees in the, the cell next to him, there's the other monkey and he gets given a grape or something. That was it, a grape. That's it. And, and so he does his little trick. Anyway, he, the other monkey's quickly here trying to perform again, gets handed the nuts where initially the nut was a, sufficient reward but now he's seen his neighbor get the sweet grape and he gets the nut that he's been handed off the um, supervisor or whatever and he throws the nut back at the window (laughs) in displeasure crazy (laughs) perception of value perception of value you told me that after a blast off remember no i don't (laughs) (laughs) so so the the if you watch the ted i kind of reference it at the end but the word itself right value um, like many words, they've lost their meanings. Decision. Mm. There's another one that's lost its meaning or commitment. But value goes back to Latin and Middle Age um, Europe. And its actual origins meant moral worth. Not... I was like, about to say, what do you think most people yeah, it, and, define value as? Well, here's the thing. That's, that's why I did, That's exactly why I did the TED Talk. The way is because to me, and I, I go back, Aristotle came up with this model of elements, right? We know... F- the earth, air, fire, water, mm. and then spiritual. And the whole model of my TED Talk is built on this concept of five elements. The first one and that main one, the fifth element. Actually, have you seen the movie, The Fifth Element? Yes. With, right? with the, and it's the four elements. And, and which what, what was the fifth element? The <laughs> human being, the That's person, it. right? And so my book is real in that. This concept of value and values is five elements. Yeah. With the fifth element, the most important being all those layers of what makes me, my perception, my values, my ecosystem. But then I've got these filters. The four other elements are tangible value, which is that measure it, dollar return. Mm-hmm. Emotional value, I can feel it. Service value, which is connecting us to something outside of myself and relationship value. And so the whole model is to help people really look at this context very differently 
because that's the reality. Like, and my, my, and if I'm trying to communicate with you, and let's say whether it's business or personal life, to have a better quality relationship, you don't look at the world the same as me. So the more I, can, if I'm trying to tell you to look at it the way I look at it, I'm missing the point. How can I get? How can I be a value to you? How can I add value to you? I've got to better try and understand. And the the TED talk is really to encourage people to build value and add value in all these facets all the time by just being a better person, more self aware know your own worth, know what your values are, and then be a better person for everybody around you because that's how we're of value really in the in the sense of moral worth to our world. That was the kind of driving purpose of doing the TED Talk for that model. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Have you listened to I've it? I've still got to listen to it. Teddy, I, I like the teddy bears were a big winner. <laughs> the teddy bears in the talk were a big winner. <laughs> I've not checked it out. Yeah, I, I literally use teddy bears in the TED Talk. Yeah. I've had a lot of feedback on my teddy bears. Yeah. I like my teddy bears. There's a reason. Yeah. I go watch it, Mr. Carter, yeah. you'll see. I'll check it out. Cool. Let's leave it at that. I think it's been fantastic. Pretty good, pretty good hit. Thanks for having us in, guys. Mate, thank you for coming in. We're we'll going to hit the more. gym floor now. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, do we'll, okay. we'll do it. Okay, we're going to be doing more because I think that was it was great to meet you guys. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, By the definitely. way, I love the uh, Jungle HQ setup, bro. Man, thank you've you, man. done an awesome job. I love you. Obviously, living your purpose, you've built a really cool environment. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Build a really cool environment. And for those that haven't been, make, make sure you try and get a coach and bring in and do some stuff here because it's, it's fantastic. 100%, man. The doors are open and welcome for anybody. But uh, in the podcast notes, I'll link in your website and your socials. So if people yeah, want yeah. to uh, find you, they can What's do the more. Academy? I'll give you a link to the TED Talk as well. Yeah, yeah so I will. The, I'll put that link So in. the Academy, I've spent the last year and a half, and that's the fourth last year. We're on a digital world, and I understand that. I'm just not hooked on it. But I, I wanted to build my own platform rather than put content through social. So I literally custom built my my own learning management system. Perfect. Uh, there's about a thousand modules in there already and it's broken into four catalogs. We, we discussed this Thursday night. Yeah, and even my, my model around that, I've got philosophy around learning is lifelong, right? Mm-hmm. And so I built four catalogs. Growth is like personal development, constantly growing. And so that's like the spring. Leadership is like being the bright light. So that's like the bright light of summer. summer. Opportunity, it's easy to kind of see opportunity in a running market. It's where things are shrinking. You've got to look for opportunity. And that's like autumn when the leaves are falling. And wisdom is a collaborative catalog for like-minded people like you guys is the idea of wisdom. And that's where you go into hibernation and kind of self-reflect. So I've built this academy of four seasons for learning, personal development, leadership and behavioral sciences, professional development and collaborative content growth leadership opportunity and wisdom which is a driving force that's my my business name trader name is glow and it's built on those four pillars of learning well you my man are a book of wisdom and i'm glad that we've uh (laughs) we've met and i can sponge off you today and hopefully many times we'll be doing more i'll send you those links as well thanks for having me guys great to see you we'll be doing more thanks boys thank you